Good morning. This is from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 through 12. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Alex, there we are. Thank you, Mele and Alex. Um, Peter over there on the soundboard had like three different microphones in his hand when I looked over. Thank you. We're set. Um, well, yeah, good morning. Great to, to be here together. Uh, my name is Dave. If you're new or, or you've never heard me preach before, I want to give you a, a, a heads up as I do every week. Um, I have a speech impediment, so just want to make sure that y'all know what that is. Um, and, uh, you know, some of y'all might have might know there was a pub crawl going on yesterday in Tucson. It's nothing to do with that. Um, I stutter every week. But um, I have social media. I know these things. I'm hip. Um, well, we're going to get into our time here pretty, pretty quickly. Um, and uh, so go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Ephesians. Um, we're in Ephesians chapter 1 still, and we'll be here for, for a bit, and, um, and are, are walking through Ephesians. Our, our plan as a church has been to go through Ephesians in, in its entirety for about 10 months, and it is only six chapters, so we're really pressing in and digging in to some things. So we're going to continue in that this morning. Um, so go ahead and turn with me there in your Bible or your app or, you know, however it is that you read God's Word. If you don't have a a copy of God's word with you. Would you hold your hand up high and keep it up and somebody will get you one. And um, if you don't own a Bible, please keep this as our gift to you. Y en español, si quieres la Biblia y no tienes, por favor, levanta su mano y diga español. Y si no tienes una Biblia, eso es un regalo a usted. Y uh, esta mañana estamos en el libro de Efesios. Um, so again, want to make sure everyone has a Bible and we can read along and follow along with and, and own and um, we, we pray that it would find a, a, a home in our hearts and that it would flow from our, our, our words and inform our everyday lives. So with that, let me pray and ask God that exactly, that he would use this time through his spirit to um, inform our, our understanding of who he is and what that means for how we live everyday life. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and pray together. Um, Lord, thank you for your word. As we say often, as we um, know that your word itself says that, um, Lord, the word, um, or that the grass withers and the flower fades, but your word, the word of our God, endures forever. And so, Lord, we do um, pray that even in, in a week like this, as we kind of dive back into some, some more difficult subjects, perhaps, and even some historically very weighty subjects, we submit collectively to your spirit. Um, we come humbly and ex- expectantly that you will, you will shape us, Lord, that you will use this time again to reveal yourself all the more clearly to us, and then from there that we will respond uh, in, in, in worship, not only now through singing and all the different things we do, but Lord, in our everyday lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's just get right into it here in verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 1. In him, okay, let me just remind us there. I know we only got 
two words into it there. Um, in him and in Christ is a common theme. This is like the main idea that we'll see consistently throughout all of Ephesians, and it's this idea that, that through um, oneness with Christ, that by, by entering into relationship with him and being found in him, um, all of life is informed and shaped. In this whole section, verses 3 through 14 there, if you're taking notes or even in your Bibles there, you see that whole section in the Greek is 202 words just straight up kind of thrown down, no, no commas, periods, punctuation. It's just kind of an explosion of praise. And so while we press in here to this, we, we need to remember it's a part of this bigger, um, this bigger, again, explosion of worship of just kind of nonstop, boom, 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 um, kind of picture of poetry slam type, type deal. Where, where, and it's all focused on this fact of, of God's people who are found in him, in Christ. Okay, so here we have, in him we have obtained an inheritance. So, so obtained an inheritance. This is the big idea of our time today, this morning. Our, our, our time is understanding the inheritance uh, that we have obtained in Christ. Okay, the, the, the theological term or the idea that comes with this is being co-heirs with Jesus. Okay, when, when, when Jesus lived his life, was sent by God the Father, lived his life, his all of life, every facet of his life was lived in submission to the will of the Father and he marched his way toward the cross and he laid his life down on the cross that, that though he is God, he didn't consider that something to be grasped or held onto, but he, he freely, willingly gave his life up for his church, for his people, for those whom he would call to faith in himself, that he gave his life down. And then he rose from the dead victoriously and, and, and as we see in the book of Hebrews is now seated next to the right hand of God the Father that he, he is ruling and reigning over all things. Okay? His inheritance is everything. We see in Colossians chapter one that everything was made through him and for him and so just, just, just picture this inheritance. And as we see there, that for those who are found in Christ, for those who, who put their faith in him, who enter into relationship with him, we get that whole inheritance. All right, we're like the ultimate trust fund babies, okay? We, we, get to, we get to participate in all that Jesus has, in all his wealth and his richness. He gives to us, right? This word there, obtained, right? We um, uh, have obtained this inheritance. That, that's something that we've been given, all right, we don't earn it, we don't deserve it, we don't do all these things, and then all of a sudden we kind of force God's arm to, to give us all these things, right, that we want. And no, it's a sense of him generously, graciously, undeserving, uh, just giving us all that Christ has, that through his resurrection, he has it all, and he shares it, and he calls you and I into it. And so this is meant that our, our lives are meant to be lived in light of the inheritance that we have in Christ. So, so there's this, 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 this reality um, at play today, which we often talk about has been understood as the now and not yet of the good news of Jesus, of the gospel, okay? That Jesus rose from the dead and is presently ruling and that he calls us to faith in himself and so that now, right now, our lives are, are, are in light of the inheritance we have. Okay, that, that though 
Though we are weak, we are strong. That though we are poor in him, we are rich. And now, as we even say that, some of us live in light of this tension that says, that's not how I feel. That doesn't feel like my present reality. Um, Even as I was kind of preparing this, I I was overwhelmed with the reality of of anxiety and depression in our world and and even, or perhaps even especially in our congregation here. We'll we'll, we'll make it known the the church-wide survey, you know, that we just did. We're kind of working on putting that together. Other people are working on putting it all together in nice graphs and, you know, charts and things. And we'll we'll, um, make that known to the church here in the next couple of of, of weeks, but one thing that really jumped out was one, hopefully none of us feels alone in, in whatever kind of struggle or sin or um, effect of sin we, we find ourselves, but one of those is, is, is the reality of mental illness and depression and anxiety and, and how common that is. And so as we, as we think of those types of things, we, we consider, man, I don't feel like I'm, I'm a rich recipient of the inheritance that Christ has. And yet the reality of where we are is that somehow we look forward to a day that is not yet here when that will be gone and done away with, when anxiety and depression, where we read in Revelation, every tear will be wiped away. Okay, let that sit on us for a moment, that, that every tear that, that wells up from frustration, from, Lord, I feel completely out of control, and I, I, I don't know that I have hope, and what does that mean for who I am and where I am right now, that we look forward to a day when that will be, when the sun will shine again, amen, and it, and it will stay up, and it will never, and we don't wonder, is this, is this good feeling I have going to, am I going to wake up tomorrow and it's going to be gone? The day is coming where that will no longer be the case. And that's good news, amen? And somehow, in Christ, that informs how we live today. Now, what that does not mean is, hey, you're a new creation, right? Christ has come. He is risen and just kind of slap on a smile and pretend everything's easy and good now because of what is to come. And yet, somehow, there is, there is truth that, that we have new hope and, and new life in Christ. And somehow, as we continue to cling to his gospel, understanding that it is not us who are holding on to him, but as John 10 tells us, he is holding on to us and he will never let us go none that the father has entrusted to his hands will be taken from him okay as he says in hebrews 13 5 i will never leave you nor forsake you so so we understand that in this place where we are now we are recipients of this inheritance that has also been promised to that is still to come so we live in light of that hope now and now as we move into the second part of verse 11, we understand that this is directly connected to what we just read, that the inheritance we have obtained in Christ now is directly connected to this, that that we move on, that, that, that having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that these words are used, again, the inheritance that we have obtained, that that we have been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that that this is meant to, 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 to press deeply onto us, that this inheritance we have should never lead to 
to arrogance and to entitlement and to selfishness or to hoarding, but instead that God has gifted, right? We, for the, he has given all that he has to us so that we might be generous and all that we have and all that we are, that, that we have, have that, that our lives would be filled with gratitude and with stewardship of what God has given to us. Is someone, I was actually just talking to someone earlier, um, one of the, someone we've actually quoted a lot here, Mike Goheen, um, just in a, in a class I just had with him um, last week, he referred to this very passage, and he said, it's so hard for me to pre, and he was kind of talking about redemption and how we've been walking through these, um, how many is that, 11 verses over the course of multiple weeks, and he was kind of saying, well, how can you preach um, on, say, this week, you know, verses 11 and 12 without just covering all of 3 through 14? Because, and the way he said it, and I want to be clear here, is, is, is he said, because when you when you put things like predestination and being chosen in Christ, these, when you put those in alien frameworks, it leads to confusion and frustration and pain. Okay, and so I want to recognize right now that, that we are going to press in like we did a couple of weeks ago to what does it mean to be predestined? What are these, what are these, these theological truths which, which I'll walk into and I don't want to shy away from and, and just kind of gloss over, right? We've talked about this the last few weeks, if you want to hear, right, that, that we need to zoom in and zoom out, right, and take the whole as we kind of focus in on the more specific. And with that, though, I want to acknowledge that, that there's a lot of good in walking through theology systematically. It can be helpful, but, but you can not stay there. Okay, you, you can't just talk about predestination and look at all the v- verses that hit on it and, and or on the flip side, talk about, you know, free will and just go there and just talk about those verses that we, we need to understand the, 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 the collective whole. And specifically in this case, the big idea of verses three through 14, again, which has the idea of being being even back in verse five, I don't have it up here on the screen, but if you're looking along with me, even there, right? He predestined us for adoption in him as sons. And there's this idea, remember that sonship in Christ is, is in that case is not sons and daughters. It's directly connected to what we're talking about here today of the inheritance we have that it says sons because this idea is that the, the, the same inheritance that the firstborn son would get, which in this time was, was like everything. All the cars, all the money, all the, all the, all the p- pets, you know, whatever, everything was left to the firstborn son. And so this idea is that in Christ, we have an inheritance. And that is connected to this idea of predestination, right? Predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Okay, so now as a moment, I want to again pause here and just kind of shepherd or pastor our, our church here that would wonder, where are we? I, I, wanna, I do want to make it very clear. We are uh, a church that holds to a, what has been historically called a, a reformed position, 
right? Some of you may have heard it referred to before as Calvinism or something like that. And um, we actually, uh, even when I did it lo- lo- last week when we walked through this before, I, I understand that some people were like, oh, whoa, I didn't know that, right? You know, and, and then some would say, oh, you know, f- finally, where's this been? Or, you know, and, and we, we like talk about it. We don't shy away from these things. Um, but we also don't like wave this flag, right? We don't have like, you know, a, a picture of John Calvin, you know, and all his French glory with a beret, you know, up here and, you know, do these. Somebody just, someone just said yes, all right? If that's the first time you ever said yes or amen, you should be ashamed, okay? You say, um, but, but we are a, a reformed church, all right? Now, let me say what that means and what that does not mean. We, as we say, we believe that God's whole word is given to us for correction and rebuke and for training and for instruction and that and that we believe that this understanding of God's sovereignty over all things over every facet of life is incredibly profound and helpful for for everywhere we find ourselves and as he has given it to us in his scriptures that that where we find ourselves just even like you know rewind a couple minutes ago as I'm talking about anxiety and depression that though it's difficult somehow those realities are informed by God's sovereignty over all things so in fact I actually got a little doing definition here for us to look at. This is actually from a secular source. If you um, can believe it, I found that was the most helpful definition I found was um, just from a, a secular source. But here it says, predestination, the divine foreordaining of all that will happen, especially with regard to the salvation of some and not others. It has been particularly associated with the teachings of St. Augustine of Hippo and of John Calvin. And so this is a more helpful definition than others, even the one I gave a couple of weeks ago, because it does have in there um, of all that will happen. And we see that in the scriptures here, right? What we just read, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. How many things? All things. Again, when we systematically break this down and say, oh, let's just talk about salvation and who is, who is effectively called and, who, and we just get it all, we get caught up in the weeds there and, and, we, and we forget that the good news here, that this letter was written to a church that had racial and socioeconomic um, brokenness and that people were wondering, well, how do we relate with one another? And that there was coming persecution, that things were getting harder in their world and they were wondering, how do we faithfully follow Jesus in light of all these things that we're facing? And so as this is given, this idea, and, and, and there were also these ideas of, well, are there second class citizens, right? Perhaps like in our congregation even there, would be some who said, I was raised in the church, I know all the songs, I was, you know, I was, you know, born on whatever, born on Saturday and church on Sunday and all these deals, and there were other people that would come in and say, you don't know where I've been, man, you don't know what I've done, you you know, there were, there were, there were, there were certain people from certain ethnic backgrounds and certain religious backgrounds that others would say, well, I'm not one of you, so am I really deserving of you know, being, am I, should I be at the same table as you, or should I sit somewhere else, do I have, and this whole mantra is, no, 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 hear me, wherever you are, whether you think you are, you are at the top of the pecking order, or at the very bottom, there is a unity among us, that, that is all, all who are in Christ, 
have been chosen by him, have been called according to the purpose of his will, have been predestined before the the very beginning of time. And so while those are theologically um, important and rich and even, I want to acknowledge, difficult truths, it, it can't be separated or divorced from very real life application of people wondering, God, do you, where were you when this happened? God, you know, are, do you, in, in, in our, God, do you delight me? I know you forgive me because you have to, right? Because Jesus died on the cross and all this stuff. But man, do you really like me? And, and this idea of, God, of God's chosenness, of God's choosing has a whole new implication that when we, when we break away from the theological textbook and we just acknowledge everyday life, and I believe because God wrote this into our very fabric of who we are, he wrote this into our hearts, we all long to be chosen, right? When you, when you consider the, the, you know, playground, dodgeball, basketball, uh, was anyone else here always the last person chosen for basketball, right? Don't judge a book by its cover. Um, <laughs> um, but I am actually really bad at basketball, but um, has nothing to do with my height, okay? Spud Webb, Muggsy Bogues. Um, Right, but honestly, like we long to be chosen by a lover, by a parent, by uh, on, the, on the playground, at work, right, whatever it might be. And this idea here of, is, is again connected to this whole thread of God's goodness, his justice and his mercy being revealed. And so when it talks about predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel, the good pleasure, the wisdom that he has of his will, of his plan, it informs how we walk through the seemingly murky uh, waters that we find ourselves in, even today. And so as we talk through this, I want to say a couple things again. One is, right, we talk about redemption communities and all these things, and oh, it's just something you do. Oh, it's, you know, that's just something that churches do, right? You have to do something during the week, so get involved. Like, these are times like this is where it's incredibly important. If you want to walk through these things, if you want to, we open the scriptures together. We talk through these things together. Even in my own redemption community that I'm in and a part of, I find that sometimes People are like, man, I want to talk through this more. Like, that's the place to do it. And while I say that even, I want to just kind of throw this out there. We acknowledge that they are full, right? We have a lot of the redemption communities are really full, and we're working on that in the fall. I know it's a ways out, but we're going to be launching a ton more is the plan and get them a lot where we can come around and open the scriptures together and have hard conversations together. But get involved with the redemption community, okay? Have conversation in that context. It's okay to email me. I got some a couple of weeks ago, and that's fine. I look forward to walking through these things and talking more. But also, like, we, you know, we embrace the priesthood of all believers. Okay, I don't have all the answers. I'm the first one to admit that. So uh, we open God's word together. Something else with that is, um, go ahead and put this image up there if you would. This is how we seek to walk through things here as Redemption Church. Again, some of you might wonder, well, why didn't, why didn't I know? Where's the flag waving, you know? And by the people who are, you know, reformed um, can always sniff it out. We do have people who come and say, oh, I found this church because I was looking for a reformed church. And because we use some of the language, people kind of smell these things out. But, but this is how we engage every conversation, Okay, we don't say you have to be reformed, you have to be complementarian, some of these other, you know, buzzwords. You have to have the same eschatology or ecclesiology as us. Those are end times or church 
governance. If you don't know those words, that's okay, right? A church that would be boundary set, which we work hard not to be, would be like that one there um, on your left, right? That would say, like, say that top one. Well, complementarian, reformed, um, you know, amillennial, you know, church governing, Presbyterian, whatever, like put those in that, that, that while those are incredibly important and helpful conversations, we think they should all be done in the context of this over there of uh, being center set, that we start with the good news of Jesus, with the life, death, resurrection, ascension, rule, present, current rule, and promised return of Jesus, that that is the gospel, that that shapes us, that that's who we are, that that's why we can pray for other churches that would, if we were boundary set, we would not agree on most things, but we can say, okay, we agree on the good news of Jesus, and so from there, we have in incredibly important conversations. So this is not to say, oh, reformed theology, predestination, who cares, doesn't matter. No, it does. But, but we say we're, we, can, we can move into those conversations because we all agree on the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus. And now that informs how we engage one another. Okay, so that's the posture we seek to take and that's the posture I would exhort all of us to have. And now let me just read a couple quotes here to um, kind of keep it up because um, we say here, we said from our very first ever Sunday service, some of you were there maybe, we met at the rail yard, just for, not even the rail yard, what is that even called? No, no, not the Zuzi, the one, um, the other one with the train. Whistle stop, there it is, thank you. So some of you know, okay, how many of you were there for this? I don't even see, wow, that's amazing. That's encouraging, like six of us. Um, so it was really fun, it was our first service, and where we are, not our first, our third service, okay, but it was our, I don't know, something was very different about it, and we were there, it was early on, and um, what we, we said something there is this, and this continues to shape us today. It's that we can all take comfort in knowing we're going to be uncomfortable together. Okay, we were talking about the rich young ruler and what it means to go all in and to obey Christ and his call in our lives and these things. And we talked about that, that it was an uncomfortable subject. And we said, look, from the very beginning as a church here, because we know there's going to be a lot of hard stuff we're going to walk into. We don't want to pretend and then all of a sudden, like this sermon, just drop it on you. And you're like, whoa, where'd that come from? Where'd that nice, you know, short little leprechaun up front that always is nice? Why is he being mean now and saying mean things? And these aren't very comfortable. Well, we just want to say, look, from the beginning, we're going to be uncomfortable, okay? Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. We're going to be uncomfortable, but we can take comfort in knowing we're gonna be uncomfortable together. Okay, so I wanna call out maybe both sides of, of this that have, you know, of kind of reformed or Calvinist and then Arminian. See, I can't even say it. That's why I'm not Arminian, I can't even say it. No, right, Arminian, which would, would, would be the other, other position. And, um, and so as I say, you don't have to sign the, at the dotted line and say, I'm a Calvinist in order to become a member at Redemption or anything like that. Okay, you do understand that's the position we hold and where we're coming from. But that said, how we go about it, well, I wanna, I wanna um, just first call out those of us, okay, so I'm talking to myself here, those of us who hold a reformed position, um, let me read a quote here that, that we need to be called out 
okay, are made uncomfortable a bit here. By, um, this is by John Newton in the um, late 1700s, um, early 1800s. He was a hymn writer and a pastor and, and was himself reformed. And this is what he says. Calvinists should be the meekest and most patient of all men. If we really believe what we say we do, we Calvinists, um, wait, I just lost my spot. We Calvinists should be the calmest and kindest people. No matter how angry and mean our world becomes, the humbling theology of Calvinism is undermined by embittered, angry, and scornful words. Now, if we did a survey, most people who have encountered Calvinism or Reformed theology would probably use some of those last words to define it. Angry, arrogant, bitter, mean. And again, this says like, no, that should never be your posture. If you truly hold to this doctrine, if you, if you have read, if you have not just read half of verse 11, but read all of Ephesians, or even more specifically, Ephesians 1 verses 3 through 14, they're like humility and love for others and an understanding of God's grace that, that sinks deeply into our, our souls should be the posture that we carry. So again, hear me, I wanna say pointedly here, we, we, we talk about predestined and chosen because those words are in the Bible and that's the position we hold and yet we let this be the beginning of the conversation or I guess part two, right, since we talked about it two weeks ago, but if you weren't here, it could be the beginning, right? Inform, like have this conversation, but let us, let us be center set. Let us be humble in our posture. And again, I'm starting with, with like us, with reformed people, because this is not usually what we're known for. Okay, we should have the least amount of angst, right? We, we don't have to convince anyone else. We should have humility and love in our conversations together. And then let me share this other thing by Tim Keller, who is normally like kind of like a grandpa, like a nice grandpa figure who's really, you know, everything he says is really slow and, and gentle and sounds really encouraging and comforting. And yet he wrote um, some very intense words. When he's speaking, he's sharing why his church holds to a reformed theology. So I want to make all of us uncomfortable. Okay, so let me share what Timothy Keller says about um, just being intellectually and theologically honest. It says, if you believe your choice is ultimate, then when you say, I am what I am by the grace of God alone, you don't actually mean it. Almost completely by the grace of God alone. But there was one little bit of difference between me and other people. No, says Paul. And I, I read that to, to help us understand the importance of what we're talking about here, that again, as we read through Ephesians um, 1, 3 through 14, and we understand the cultural stuff that was going on there, okay, that, that Jewish people and Gentile people, where one was prone to say, I'm better than the others, where, where the church, okay, the church was starting here, okay, again, let's not just read through the lenses we have on today, where, where this idea of making a, a, a call for all to put their faith in Jesus, and, and, and it would be, some would be hearing that and saying, well, am I going to be a second-class citizen, or, or okay, does, did God really want anything to do with me, because everything about my world right now says that, that the church is, is, is for a particular social group, 
And God doesn't give his, va- his, his theology in a vacuum. He doesn't, again, create alien frameworks that are disconnected from everyday real life. He says, no, listen, and that's why, again, we think this is incredibly important because we need to understand that, 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 that God's choosing you and you and you and calling us to faith and calling us into his family cannot be because, well, you are a little smarter. You're a little better. You, you chose, therefore, you know, you're better than this other person who you're called to love. Then this idea of being one, of there being a, the walls of division broken down is connected to this theology of God working all things together according to his purpose and the counsel of his will is calling and forming a people to himself. Okay, so, so now that informs as we move on to, okay, it's again not in a vacuum, but now as we move on to verse 12, we understand that he is, he is, he is, um, he is ruling and reigning over all things, including salvation, not limited to it, but then including salvation and connected to every other facet of life. And we see that as we turn now to verse 12, says, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And I don't even have it there in verse, verse 13 up there, but if you have your Bible, you can read along. If not, shame on you. You should have held your hand up high, right, when I said you need a Bible. But no, look, this the very first, um, s- s- first part of the next sentence there in verse 13 says, in him you also. So what's going on there? Who are the first and who's this you also? Almost certainly the first to believe he's referring to Jewish people. Okay, so again, that's removed from our cultural understanding today, right? We hear Jews, Gentiles, these different things, but this is directly connected. He's, he's, as he's, he talks about God predestining um, all people, uh, the, not all people, but these specific people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, from every different demographic, and he says, so that you who are we, because Paul is Jewish, we who were the first to hope in Christ. So he's saying, listen, so Jewish people here understand you have been predestined in order that you might live to the praise of his glory so that your life, so how you live, how you relate with Gentiles, how you spend your money, how you, how you order food from the drive-through, how you, how you cheer on your team and how you interact with people from other teams, right? Yeah, I'm talking to myself or I'm convicted. No more ASU jokes. Um, you know, he's saying like everything you do is meant you've been predestined, you've been chosen not just to live in a vacuum but for a purpose so that you might live to the praise of his glory. And then in the very next part, and we'll get there next week, he says, and then he goes on and now he speaks to a broader context. He says, in him you also not just the Jewish people, okay? Paul's like, I'm not just talking to my friends and my family here, but you also, Gentiles, Greeks, non-Jewish people. You too are meant to live, and he goes on, and again, we'll get there next week, and he talks about um, to, to live out uh, as they heard the word of truth, the gospel of their salvation, and believed, and the good news of being sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, and he's saying here again, okay, think theology, important theology in real life, everyday cultural context. You who were the first to believe, and you also have been chosen according to the, his perfect will, the counsel of his perfect will for a purpose so that you might live to the praise of his glory. 
So how do we, what, what do we do with this? Can you go ahead and throw up that, um, that image, that picture? This is, um, a, uh, this is called Adoration of the Lamb by Herbert and Jan Van Eck. Um, I just think this is kind of funny. I'll just, from like the mid-1400s, 1426 and 1432. Um, I all, I've used this a lot of times just, just to show that we all have nothing to prove and nobody to impress. Um, I used to always say Herbert and Jan Van Eck, and some of you who are like D Dutch probably know. The Johansons are probably Dutch. I don't know, I assume. Um, but I, I always said Jan until watching the Winter Olympics, and I'm like, oh, Jan, that's a guy, like his brother. And then as I've read into it more, so I've been mispronouncing it for a long time. I thought it was husband. But actually, what this, what this picture, how it all went down here was Herbert is the big brother, Herbert Van Eck, and he started this incredible classic work again in 1426, and before it was finished, he passed away, and then his brother, Jan, not wife, Jan, but his brother, Jan Van Eck, um, kind of picked up where he left off and usually gets all the credit. I'm the youngest two of four boys, so even I just love that story that he kind of was like, I'll take all the credit. I'll just finish what he started, but this picture, Herbert and Jan Van Eck, um, is this in incredibly profound, helpful picture that, again, this is during the, around the time of the Re Reformation, the Protestant Re Reformation. And this picture is meant to, to, to show um, every tribe, tongue, and nation, north, south, east, and west, people coming from every corner of the globe to adore, to worship the Lamb. It's connected to Re Revelation chapter seven, um, uh, where uh, verses 10 and, and 12, which um, I don't even think I have here. Let me just read those for you even to, as you just, just look for a moment, okay? Some of you that don't think you're very artsy, okay, enter in, maybe, maybe exercise a new muscle this morning. But look at this picture as I read this. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, our God. Every people, every, every corner of the globe, praising the Lamb, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Again, here as we look at this, this Lamb, okay, you should think there this idea of humble boldness. That in Christ and Christ alone, you see that he, though he is the creator of all things, chose to humble himself to take on, to be a lamb, to be the sacrificial lamb that usually, it's even kind of funny when you look at it, lambs don't usually like strut around, right? Chest puffed out like, what's up world? I'm here to take you down. You know, that's that Jesus, though he created the, the lion, Though, though he is referred to as the Lion of Judah, he, he chose to, to usher in his kingdom by laying down his life. And the in so doing, he, he sacrificed himself, he humbled himself so that all people would be called, that he would call all from every tribe, every tongue, every nation, that he would be forming a people coming to himself and that and the every facet, you see, they're all coming there. Their lives are, are informed that everything is given to be to the praise of his glory. That, that when we see God rightly, which I just, I can't help but say again, we is why theology does matter. 
When we have a high view of God and a right view of self, it leads us to humbly loving our neighbor as we love ourselves, to moving toward one another even among amidst the disagreements, to having hard conversations in this context to see that in Christ there is now neither, neither, neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor, nor female, that in Christ there is now a glorious inheritance that all who call on the name of Christ get to, be, uh, get to, get to participate in, get to be recipients of. So as we close and we respond, as we do every week, let this be a picture of our time coming before the Lord's table to take communion together, to, to break bread. Okay, look at the lamb, the lamb who was slain, the one who gave his body to be broken, the one who poured out his blood to be shed so that all who are called his own might have new life, might be formed as a new people and might live all of life, all for Jesus, might live all of life according to the, the, the praise of his glory as one people, his people, in response to the good news that he has done. Okay, so again, let us, um, wherever we find ourselves right now, we've hit on some big subjects this morning. Let's now participate in this, in this display of worship the lamb who was slain, the one who humbled himself and is now victoriously ruling and reigning over all things, who has called us to participate in his glorious inheritance. Let's pray together as his people. Heavenly Father, thank you for um, all that you have given us. Lord, thank you for the wisdom of your will. Lord, we confess that we don't understand everything, even as John Calvin himself referred to some of these theologies, the, the doctrines of grace as a beautiful mystery. Lord, we, we pray that as we come now before you, Lord, we would be humbled, yes, perhaps uncomfortable, yes, perhaps compelled to have further conversation, Lord willing, compelled to open your scriptures all the more and submit ourselves to responding rightly to you and to your good news. And yet, Lord, I pray that the dominant theme that, we, that would inform who we are and how we even now respond together would be, Lord, that we are, that we are co-heirs with Jesus. Lord, that that, would, that that would define how we live our lives. And Lord, that from there, too, we would, we would live as, as a called-out people, a chosen people, that everything we do collectively, together, Lord, it would be to the praise of your glory. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.